Hey guys, if you hadn't heard, sports betting is now live in Massachusetts. We're passing along this awesome promo for new DraftKings customers. Deposit and place a $5 wager on any sport to get $200 added to your account in bonus bets, guaranteed. Use our code BASTARDS at sign up to redeem. Using our promo code BASTARDS is a great way to support the pod. So if you don't yet have a DraftKings account, do us a solid and sign up with code BASTARDS and place that first bet. New customers only, 21 plus and physically present in Massachusetts. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-327-5050. Valid. One offer per customer. Minimum $5 deposit and $5 wager required. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets and expire seven days after being awarded. See full terms at DraftKings.com. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. If you are a new listener, we're happy to have you aboard. For those of you who have been here, you already know the deal. For better or worse, we live and die by this team just like all of you, and we make no apologies for that. My name is Jason Kelly. I'm your host tonight for this Bastards Roundtable. Uh, I'm coming your, to you live from Canton, Massachusetts. Uh, my, you can find me on Twitter at Color of the Iris. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining us tonight from the mile-high city of Denver, Colorado, by way of Quincy, Massachusetts, is Andrew Duan. How's it going, Andrew? Uh, doing well. Well, I got everyone's attention. Please make sure to like and subscribe um, anywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple Pods, Spotify, and definitely make sure you hit that bell on YouTube as well. Uh, they're putting out daily videos, it seems. Um, so we want to make sure everyone's uh, catching up on those and, you know, you get all that good content. Awesome. And also with us tonight from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by way of Wyndham, Maine. Terry Cushman. Terry, how's it going? Not too bad. I'm going to be embarking on uh, roughly an 18-hour road trip back to Maine uh, tomorrow. And um, first time I've been back to Maine since I moved uh, to South Carolina in late 2021. So kind of looking forward to seeing some people and uh, keeping uh, an eye on the Tiger series. And I think we got the Rays next week. I forget who the second half of the week is, but uh, just just glad to have baseball back. Glad we have four shows a week back. Yeah, yeah. It feels good to be uh, back to normal and back to talking about some meaningful games and some meaningful storylines as well. So the way this show is going to work is we're each just going to come up with a little bit of a league-wide topic, maybe even a Red Sox topic, but could be either or. Just something that's piquing our interest uh, around baseball. And we're just going to bring it here. I'm going to talk about it, get your opinions on it as well. So, Terry, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, so I'm going to be staying in the Red Sox realm of things. And we touched on it a little bit uh, in the last episode. But the... The Red Sox catching situation, uh, it's a little flawed and perhaps some of it uh, was unforeseen because the rules changes. Uh, pitchers can only hold the first baseman at, uh, excuse me, the first base runner at bay uh, so many times. They can try to pick him off twice, no penalty. If they pick him off a third time or attempt to pick him off, uh, and fail to do so, it's a balk. 
So basically, it's going to be very hard to prevent the runner from stealing after the second attempt to pick them off. So we're kind of learning the hard way now that you're going to need a catcher with a, you know, a good arm, good pop time. And Reese McGuire is not the guy. He's got a pretty decent bat. He's hitting 333 right now. Almost had a game tying three run home run in the finale, which would have could have turned uh, that game around for the Red Sox. Maybe put it back in the win category, but, um, I'm just wondering, like, what do we do? I think Connor Wong, he's he's going to be able to hold runners a little bit better. You might be sacrificing a little bit of offense, but are we in trouble at catcher, and is that something we're going to have to address here in the coming weeks and months? It kind of feels like it. I mean, like you said, McGuire's got a, the good bat. Um, I don't Connor Wong, like, I know that he's – known for having some power, but he kind of looks overmatched at times when he's at the plate. I don't think either guy is great defensively. McGuire has certainly struggled early on here. Um, then again, when your offense is good enough, the catcher position shouldn't matter. Um, now, defensively, it matters a ton. You need guys who can not just you know have a strong arm, throw runners out, not give up pass balls but also guys who can call good games behind the plate and that the pitching staff is comfortable with. So maybe that's part of why McGuire is still here. Maybe that's part of why they didn't really go out into the catcher market. Not that there was much of one to begin with, but maybe that's why he's here. The, the starting staff felt comfortable with him and they're good with it, but he just, he hasn't looked great so far. And I know a lot of fans uh, early on have already been clamoring for, you know, Christian Vasquez again. I'll say this, I would make that Christian Vasquez trade a million times out of a million if he gave me the opportunity to go back. The, the prospects they got back for him, um, they really swindled the Astros on that one. Um, and I know that he was a free agent, but I don't know. I To me, I, I was ready to move on from Vasquez. I don't think he's the same guy. Um, but it's going to be tough if McGuire and Wong don't get any better and you're just kind of stuck with this. You, you don't have an Adley Rushman in the minors, you don't even have like a Joey Bart or one of those guys. Like your next catching prospect is what Ronaldo Hernandez, who really can't hit. He's supposed to be a little bit better defensively, I think, but he has absolutely no bat. So I, I hope that McGuire gets a little more comfortable and figures it out. Cause I don't think he's this bad defensively. I, I think last year he looked better defensively. So I don't know what's happened between then and now. Um, maybe it's just early season jitters. Maybe it's, again, he's working with a few new pitchers like Kluber and guys like that. Maybe he's still getting used to it, but hopefully they figure it out soon because it's kind of hard to just go out and get a catcher. Like that's, that's not an easy thing to do either in trades or in free agency. So I'm hoping that one of these guys, either Wong or McGuire figures it out behind there. Yeah, the Maguire thing's been a little weird. I don't know what's going on, but his pop time has been significantly lower than what his career average is. And, you know, when he's been a regular or semi-regular starter, he's around, you know, middle of the pack, 50 to 52nd percentile. And this year it's about a tenth of a second lower than uh, um, pop time-wise than it has been. So 
I don't know if there's something going on. I don't know if he's getting a bad read on things. The pitchers, I will say, he could be Pudge Rodriguez in 1996, and the leads these guys are getting, he probably wouldn't get them. Um, This is something that has to get cleaned up. We talked about it on the last show. Just because you can only throw over three times doesn't mean you can't throw over no times. And they are pretty much doing that. We saw, what, two guys on the Orioles go five for five. Um just making Ricky Henderson look slow. And I, they're just going to have to have a little bit of a meeting. And I know everyone wants Veritech to be, you know, the next guy in charge. What's, you know, what's he doing about this? I think, you know, someone should probably get a sit down with him because, you know, that's his entire, uh, you know, reason for being there is, you know, the catcher guy, maybe Bradford can have him on one of his pods or Catillo could, you know, have ice cream with them. I don't, there, there's just an opportunity that we find out what's going on at the catcher position. Because like you guys said, you don't just go out and get a catcher. It's just not a thing. Yes, you can trade for a catcher and you'll trade, you know, your best three prospects for him. Or you suck for, you know, in the right year and get one at number two or number three in the draft. But it's just one of those things you don't just, you know, go out inside. It's not a uh, left fielder with some pop. It, those are just few and far between. And the Red Sox don't have one in the minors. They haven't had one in a long time. You know, they ruined Swihart with putting him in the left field and him, you know, breaking every goddamn bone in his ankle. And then, you know, the tragic loss of Daniel Flores, who probably would have debuted this year, you know, getting cancer and passing immediately. Um, so th- there's just nothing in the well. Alfaro is not the answer if we're talking defense. Bat maybe, but yeah, th- there, there's nothing on the horizon for that to, you know, just get fixed internally. They have to figure it out. I'm just wondering, like, are, are we entering an era, era, excuse me, where offense is, is going to matter a lot less at that position as long as you have a catcher with a good arm? Because if an above-average runner, it doesn't, you don't even have to be a notorious base stealer, a guy who steals, you know, 15, 20-plus bags a year. If you've got wheels, you're going to be stealing on the Red Sox. The Baltimore Orioles lead Major League Baseball right now with 11 stolen bases, okay? 10 of those was against the Red Sox. They only managed to steal one base, whoever they just played. But they they got 10 easy bases on the Red Sox. And after this uh, Pirate Series, they're uh, ranked fifth right now in MLB, uh, you know, thanks to the Red Sox series here. So... I'm just wondering, I mean, Sandy Leone is an example. I'm not saying we're going to go get him. I mean, he's in his probably mid-30s now. But Sandy Leone was a journeyman catcher, but he could hold base runners. Maybe not quite as good as Vasquez, but I remember Sandy Leone gunning down a fair amount of base runners. So are we in an era where, I don't know why I'm struggling with that word, uh, where we need a Sandy Leone type guy to keep those runners out of scoring position. Because if you're in the seventh inning and there's a runner on first and the score is tied four to four and that, that runner takes an easy bag, the stress level goes up. The stress level goes way up and because your catcher can't hold him. 
And so I basically, I mean, I don't know if I'm at the point now, but maybe we got to go find that journeyman guy that we know is at least going to gonna hold those runners. Yeah, and we touched on it a little bit in the, the last show we did. It's, there's going to be an adjustment period all around baseball when it comes to the new rules and guys are, are really running a lot right now because of pitchers only getting two disengagements. And, you know, sometimes, like Andrew said, when it comes to the Red Sox pitching staff, they feel like they have none. Um, I feel like pitchers are so out of whack with that that it's like only limiting them to two, they feel like they can't do it at all. And sometimes you just need to remind them, like, no, you can still throw over. You, you can only do it twice, but you can still throw over. So if you see a guy in the corner of your eye shuffling his way to second base, I don't know, maybe throw the ball over there and stop him from doing that. There's going to be an adjustment period. It's still very early on. So I hope that we don't have to go, like you said, the Sandy Leone route or the route where you have to pick up just, you know, uh, the the Joe, was it Jeff Mathis or Joe Mathis, the guy who played forever only because he was, yeah. yeah, Jeff Mathis. He was only good at throwing guys out and being a defensive catcher. He couldn't hit a lick, but that guy played like over 12 years in, in the MLB because Chris he was that good at it. Guys like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like I, I hope it doesn't come to that because that's just a black hole in, on your roster offensively. Um, so I'm hoping that the league – all around adjusts to the new rules, pitchers adjust to it, and that way catchers aren't under so much stress to, you know, having to throw every guy out. Let me throw this out there, because I thought we might see this occasionally. And I think I I don't know if I tweeted about this before the season, but why didn't we see a single pitch out in that Baltimore series? Maybe I I guess the Red Sox pitchers weren't really commanding the strike zone other than the dead middle of the plate. But, you know, why not waste one pitch and, you know, make an attempt? It used to be a pretty common thing before, you know, the last, you know, 10 years or so. I, it would give your catcher a chance. I just think something could be done about that. And I don't think we've seen a single one come, you know, from the Red Sox staff uh, so far this year. So you're talking like with the pitch out, throw a ball, and then ship it the first real quick. Well, just, you know, you've had – the Red Sox even haven't even taken advantage of their two throws over. But, yeah, they're over twice, and then all of a sudden, you know, Hayes has got a seven-step lead. I don't know if there's a pitch comp button. Maybe just, like, hit all the buns at once. I mean, fucking throw it you – know, <laughs> do a pitch out, and let's – you know, see if we can cut this guy down at second. I they have to have some sort of attempt. I mean, I know Veritek, you know, saw many a you know pitch out in his day. I it just you got to try something because what do you do? Just do nothing about it and hope that these guys start having Pudge Rodriguez pop times of like one second down to down you know down to second base it's not nothing's gonna change you gotta try something well it's interesting though because after the second pickoff attempt you are seeing them take bigger leads because they're thinking well he's not gonna try it again that would be a great time to try to you know get the catcher to throw down to first especially if you've already used your two attempts i'm assuming that wouldn't count as a third one, if it's coming from the catcher, but uh, no, it's a pitch and it's a ball. I mean, that exactly it, I mean, standard practice for 130 years. And 
<laughs> it's just gone. Time to bring it back. You got to make him honest. You can't let them get legitimate walking leads, you know, a fifth of the way to second base. Something has to be done. Is a ball the worst thing if it means a guy isn't just walking into second? I don't think so. It's it's frustrating, but I can see this being a crisis situation for the Red Sox if they can't if they can't resolve it with McGuire. I just, I mean, they 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 Pirates did a double steal on him today. They took two bags on him. <laughs> you know, I, I just like I said, especially if it's late in the game the anxiety level is just going to go way up. It's just, it's a different ball game. And the other frustrating thing too, is the Red Sox don't seem to be any more apt to try it. Like they're not tinkering with it themselves. So, I mean, couldn't, couldn't Kike Hernandez and Alex Verdugo be decent base sealers if they had the IQ on the base pass to do it? Oh, I think that's part of the problem. I don't think Verdugo has great base running IQ. <laughs> he um, doesn't. I, he really <laughs> I don't. Doesn't. I don't. We saw that. I don't today. think he's ever displayed that. Um, he's got speed, but yeah, he just he doesn't have the IQ. I think Kike's got more of an IQ, but he doesn't have the speed or not the raw, you know, launch speed. Anyway, um, in fact, like you go through that Red Sox lineup, I mean, who's the fastest guy? It it might be Verdugo. There's no one until Trevor Story comes back. He's your biggest stolen base threat, you know, on this team. Hell, last, you know, it was Dahlbeck, you know, who had the highest sprint speed other than Trevor Story. Well, they, I mean, Tapia should be fairly quick, yeah. I would think. Yeah. Um, gotta get first, though. In a, yeah, <laughs> in a, even in a pinch running scenario. Uh, Arroyo, I think, should be a decent guy on the base pass. Um, Yoshida did steal a base uh, mm -hmm. one of those games. So I just feel like the Red Sox aren't even trying to tap into this. And so it, it's almost like a double disadvantage here. They got like, they still have that 2004 mentality. It's like, well, someone's going to hit a home run. We can't risk, you know, someone getting thrown out. It's, it's not really a risk anymore. I mean, with Adley Rushman behind the plate. Okay. Yeah, maybe. So I don't know going forward, you know, when you're not facing, a generational talent behind the plate. Hopefully they'll start showing some 2023 baseball skills here, but yeah, you got, you have to take advantage of these new rules. And that's what we saw with the 40 man roster. That's why David Hamilton got protected. Some of these guys that, you know, aren't up with the team yet, but they, something needs to, you know, someone needs to step up and kind of take advantage of this when they're on first. Yeah. And again, like you, you mentioned the pitch out, there were a couple of times where, you know, Pittsburgh ran on you with an 0-2 count. Counts 0-2, you can waste a ball there. Like, why not try the pitch out and see if that works? But I agree. Yeah, they've, they've got to either start utilizing it on their own or really figure out how to curtail it. Um, Real quick, guys, we're going to step out 90 seconds. Be right back. Okay, uh, let's move on to our next roundtable topic of the night. Uh, Andrew, what you got for us this week? Are you guys ready to bully an eight-year-old? Because I am. Yes. Lucas, if you are listening, I hate you. And everyone hates you. 
Congratulations. I hope you never leave New Jersey because no one in Massachusetts wants you coming across that border. It that was ridiculous for anyone that's like, what what is he talking about right now? Yoshida hit his first ever stateside home run, really good, you know, uh, out of the zone, elevated fastball right over the monster. Great, great at bat by Massa on that. Pittsburgh fan picks it up, gives it to a little kid, does a good deed. You know, that's usually what, you know, most sane human beings do in that situation. Well, that Pittsburgh fan didn't know it was Yoshida's first home run. So little Lucas, a spoiled brat from New Jersey, and his POS dad, who, if you look at a picture, I've never seen anyone more miserable while you're sitting in like $300 seats in my life, but that's a different conversation, refuses to give the ball back to Yoshida. The Red Sox spent a good, what, three innings negotiating with him, and apparently throughout the night, and they keep saying, no, no, it's that Ryan Brazier situation, or Ryan Brazier lookalike situation from Toronto last year, and I I don't know if anyone saw it, but there was a one worker, like, that was standing behind the family that was like, I just want to throw these people over. Like, anyone actually be mad if I do? But it was ridiculous. Yoshida, after the game, goes, yeah, I'm really disappointed. Hopefully I'll get that ball back. And it's an eight-year-old. This ball has zero monetary value. And they're holding it like it's, you know, the holy grail. Take your autograph picture. Take your handshake from Yoshida. Take the free box tickets that the Sox can give you and put you up in a hotel. You know, it just there's no reason to hold this ball hostage. I, it, it really made me mad, as you can tell. And I could go on for another thirty minutes on this, but I will, uh, Terry. Terry, I'll let you, I'll let you go take this over from me. Well, like you said, I mean, it's not going to have any monetary value, so why not cash in on it and get something cool? I mean, you can get like autographed bats and all that, and. I would probably have a little less sympathy for a guy like Yoshida who's got an $18 million deal and he's playing for like a $3 billion franchise. This isn't like a a rookie call-up who hit a home run and he might have a promising career, but he might not. Maybe he just hit a home run on a call-up and that's an important ball to him. And it's important to Yoshida as well, but... In this situation, I would have driven a hard bargain. I really would have. Like, this is what my price would have started at. I would have wanted his game-worn jersey that night autographed, which I think is doable. I'd be surprised if they had a problem with that. I mean, you'd see Albert Pujols do it at the end of almost every game. He would find a kid, sign it, give it away. So it's not like this unprecedented thing. And I think that could be worth more than the ball someday, especially if it would if he slides into a base and it's got dirt on it from Fenway. I, it just makes it a little bit more authentic. I feel like, and then I would have asked. This is the big one. I would have asked for playoff tickets. Eventually, <laughs> we might not make the playoffs for five years, but I would have tried to have lever- leveraged playoff tickets and maybe met somewhere in the middle there, but. Why not cash in? Like, what a cool opportunity to get something really cool, uh, you know, from the Boston Red Sox. And instead, you're going to take it home. And yeah, you kind of have a cool story, but not many people are going to care. And and 
I mean, at the end of the day, I probably would have wanted, even if I drove a hard bargain, I would have wanted Yoshida to have his ball. But how cool is the story? Be like, oh, yeah, it's the ball you were a dick about, right? (laughs) True. True. Yeah. It's, I, I, it, it just makes it make less sense. Why not cash in and get something? I mean, that, that's the worst part of it is everything that you guys said about the, the memorabilia that that could, could get in a negotiation would be worth so much more than that home run ball. It's not the Maris home run ball from, you know, judge when he was chasing the record. It's not anything like that. It's, it's, you know, it doesn't have some value. Sure. Of course it does. It's, a home run hit by a major league baseball player, you know, probably, hopefully if, you know, if it all works out for us, he'll be one of the most famous players to ever come from Japan. But right now it doesn't have a ton of value. And these knuckle draggers from Jersey, just holding onto the ball. I mean, Andrew's right. The father looked miserable. He just looked like, you know, and I think it was Jamai was up in, in the monster and when he was negotiating with them and his report back to the booth was, their reason for keeping the ball was that it was Lucas's first major league game. And they believe that him having this ball means more than it would to Yoshida having the ball, which is the most selfish way to think I could ever imagine. Like, no, our moment is more important than his moment, even though how could they possibly know that? But this random family from New Jersey who God knows how many Red Sox games he'll ever go to again after this. Probably none. Hopefully none if we bully them enough. Um, but they think their experience sitting up in, in these you know fancy stands and whatever is more valuable than a guy who has been playing baseball his whole life hitting his first stateside major league career home run. Are you kidding me? That is just that that's the height of self-importance and selfishness and it's just oh it was so annoying like the kid even looked like he wasn't having a good time he just had a frown on his face the whole game and it's like i don't know it it just i don't get it i i don't get why you know you, you think that you're so much more important than a major league baseball player and you know hopefully like have fun hopefully he actually hangs on to that baseball because again what the kids ate there's no way that that baseball is going to be taken care of. There's no way that he's like not going to lose it at some point. That kid's going to grow up, and in like ten years, I hope that we like reach out back to him, and be like, "Hey, so that home run ball that was so important to you—that's in like a glass case, right? You took good care of it, right?" And he'll probably be like, "Oh no, I threw it away." You know, he'll probably still have stupid hair and glasses at that point too. His father will still be just as miserable and be like, "Oh no, we just threw it away because you know we didn't think it was that important." I hate this family. I, I hated them throughout the entire game. The Red Sox, at least to this point, at this recording, have not won since they stole that ball from Yoshida. So it's it's bad luck as well. It's just the whole thing pisses me off. It's It was so bad. The one thing I wish the Red Sox tried, they never would have done this, but I don't know. That probably speaks to more how I am. I would have been like, oh, yeah, Yoshida wants to sign it for you and just, you know, Taking the ball and never come back. Just like, run off with it. <laughs> no, just, come, just come back with a random foul ball that you got from that game, too. Just put a little scuff on it. Like, oh, yeah, no, it's the same one. Yeah. Another cool thing that could have happened was 
and actually, before I get to that, let's just remind the audience, the kid didn't catch it himself. He didn't catch it in his own glove. It was given to him by someone else, you know, in an act of selflessness. And then he, you know, became the selfish one in the end. But what would have been cool was if somebody, they're probably too young to come up with this themselves, but someone could have brokered a deal where maybe where maybe Lucas could have got something from the Red Sox, but maybe the original kid could have got something from a, a Pirates player, you know, O'Neill Cruz or, or Brian Reynolds or, you know, one of their uh, young starting pitchers. So, and that, and that, that would have made it a cool story. Two kids get something from each team, but in the end, you know, greed is, uh, is the theme. Yep, greedy Lucas and his greedy family ruined that opportunity. So, uh, so real quick, our last roundtable topic of the night. Uh, this happened out in St. Louis. So the St. Louis Cardinals, who I think are seen by many as a World Series favorite, uh, a couple of yours truly on this show picked them to go to the World Series. Uh, they had an incident recently where Tyler O'Neill, one of their star outfielders, uh, was sent home on a single into right field. He was on second base. Third base coach waved him home. Now keep in mind, this was Ronald Acuna Jr. who was coming up the ball in right field for Atlanta. So we know how much of an arm he has. And it was a shallow ground ball into right field. O'Neill was sent by the third base coach, and he was thrown out of the plate. He was out by a mile. Wasn't even close. Uh, the St. Louis Cardinals manager, Mr. Marmol over there, decides to call out Tyler O'Neill for not hustling down the third baseline. And basically, in the interview he did afterwards, he held his hand up sort of you know, near his eye level. He said, if you want to play for the St. Louis Cardinals, the level of play is up here, and if you play below it, you don't play. And he did subsequently bench Tyler O'Neill, I think the next game or something like that. Um, and Tyler O'Neill called him out afterwards and said, you know, I really wish that this had been done privately behind closed doors and not out in public and, you know, with the media. So things are not great in St. Louis. And as uh, one of the beat writers, uh, she writes for the athletic covers the Cardinals for them. She tweeted out today. Uh, yeah. The vibes are really bad here in St. Louis right now. So uh, Andrew, what do you got on this whole situation? I reached out to Dale Swain for uh comment on this and he said it was the worst third base send i've ever seen out of that's a little deep cut for red sox fans dale swain was one of the worst freaking third base coaches in team history i think every single player got thrown out by at least 45 feet what year was he do you remember or what was he seven? Oh my god oh, what seven? yeah he he was early, yeah he was like mid to late 2000s yeah he, it, yeah, he was so bad. <laughs> he would have been the Red Sox manager had they not hired Valentine. He was like the number one guy that Sherrington wanted. So, sorry. I didn't mean to randomly interrupt there, but go no, ahead. No, it's all good. It's a, it, it's a very <laughs> random person. So, anyways, yeah, that was ridiculous. And if, you know, you need any decision on, you know, who was in the right, who was in the wrong, just look, just go on Twitter and type in Ollie Marmel and see what Cardinals fans have to say about this situation. You know, Taylor O'Neill is not a small man. He's a big dude. <laughs> he was chugging around and he probably thought he was stopping, you know, around third because 
he would have been right. And they sent him, and he was out by a decent amount because Ronald Coon Jr. is one of the best players in baseball. And for Marmol to call him out publicly was ridiculous. And today, O'Neill, you know, said, you don't do that. Like, we could have handled this, you know, behind closed doors. It's a terrible way to, you know, set the tone for your season. They same record as the Red Sox right now, two and four. And honestly, they have a lot more talent than Boston does. Maybe not in the pitching department, but certainly offensively. And I don't know how, you know, this kind of carries over for them because the Cardinals have a very loaded offense and this, you know, could lead to O'Neill riding the bench for a while. And I assume if he, you know, gets benched for any extended amount of time, he's probably going to ask out. I would. He was my number one trade target this offseason before, you know, they got Yoshida and Duvall. I really wanted Tyler O'Neill in Boston. And unfortunately, you know, we have a very full outfield or else, you know, I think there's a discount to be had. I think someone might take advantage of it. And I think the Cardinals are probably going to let the wrong guy go. Um, seems like Marmol uh, was definitely in the wrong. And I'm sure the players feel the same way. I didn't realize Marmol is only... 36 years old. So it could be, you know, he's still wet behind the ears and doesn't have that, you know, veteran manager savvy. I think this one could really bite him in the ass if he doesn't make right by Tyler and the rest of the clubhouse. It seems like the Cardinals have not had a very good run of managers. Uh, before him was Mike Schilt. And I, I don't think that Schilt necessarily had a problem with the players, but, you know, there was. His philosophy, I guess, was was a big problem with the uh, front office. And then before that, you've had Mike Matheny, who's had one or two jobs since and hasn't uh, really found a ton of success, you know, as a manager. So it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how this chapter plays out. And I I caught on to this just before the show and, and watched the clip for the first time. And it seemed to me like O'Neill was moving at a good clip and he's probably not a guy you would send in a lot of situations that are going to be close. Like he's not, you know, jazz Chisholm flying around the base pass or, um, you know, Al Alberto Mondesi, who we might see uh, here in a couple of months. But uh, it it's if he benched him, fine. But the the public call out is not cool. You know, that's that's Tony Larusa, Chicago White Sox level stuff. And I'd be interesting to interested to know what the dynamic of the clubhouse is like what does a guy like nolan arenado think about this who's you know one of the most respected clubhouse leaders in mlb and you you've got another guy across the diamond and paul goldschmidt so i guess it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out and uh kind of weird that it happened in the fourth or fifth game of the season you know, it's not like it's August and, you know, there's uh, not much baseball left to be played. Like they have to they have to get past this. And um, as Jason said, they're they're 
a team that should be capable of going deep into the month of October. So can, can a toxic clubhouse and a toxic manager derail that? That's the question. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, there's, there's a way to properly deal with that. And it reminds me of, I think it was last year when it happened with the San Francisco giants, Zach little was on the mound and Gabe Kapler came out to take him out of the game and little showed him up on the mound. I mean, so this was more the player's fault than the manager's fault, but little showed him up and kind of barked at him on the mound. Kapler just didn't say a word, took the ball, talked to his players, and then went back to the dugout, tapped a little on the arm and said, come with me. They went down the stairs into the clubhouse where there are no cameras, so no one could follow them, and he probably had it out with them there, but didn't do it in public, didn't call them out to the media, didn't do it on camera, did it in private where no one else could see them. Like, that's when you're a manager, that's how you handle it. The way Marmol handled it was just all wrong, and... Yeah, I mean, if you're a Cardinals fan, <laughs> you got to be sort of looking at the manager going, are you serious? We're going to go through this again where we have a super talented roster and the manager is going to get in the way. It's just, like you said, it's kind of the never-ending tale over there. So on that note, uh, if you guys don't have any other additional thoughts, I think we'll wrap it up there. So we will be back next week with another round table. Um until then, hope you guys all have a good weekend, and we'll see you guys next week. Take care.